We will be in Colossians chapter 4 tonight. Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4, starting at verse 7 to the end of the letter. Colossians chapter 4, verse 7. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and a fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts and with them ones in us, our faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that, he may lead, that you may stand mature and fully assured in the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you. And for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Damas. Greet my, give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see to it that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this closing passage of Colossians. And Father, I thank you for this series in which we are concluding tonight. Lord, I thank you that uh, during this time we can look upon the sufficiency of Christ, the call to maturity and not to be taken uh, aback by false lies that Satan spews, and also our call to love you and to love our fellow man, particularly our brethren in the church, with a holy new life that you have given us in Christ. Father, thank you for these important and essential things that we have seen throughout Colossians. And Lord, may they be pressed upon our hearts as we think upon them in this very hour. We ask this all in your son's holy and perfect name. Amen. Before we jump into our passage, I want to do something real quick. Uh, I just want to thank you all for allowing me to serve as Pastor Wynn's assistant for this past year or so. I think uh, uh, it's come to an end. Uh, my internship officially ended in December, and it was an immense blessing to myself and my family. Thank you for your financial support and the prayers, especially those prayers, brothers, that uh, I'm with on Wednesday nights. Those really do mean the world to me. Thank you for that. But thank you most of all for allowing me to learn and grow in the great task of preaching. There's only so much that seminary can prepare you for, and it's only by being in this pulpit and failing in this pulpit where I could learn how to serve this church better and hopefully other churches as well down the line. Pastor Wynn, thank you for being an awesome boss. Uh, I did not do a very good job at the assistant part of the job. Uh, he would know. But I learned more from you how to be a godly man than you probably realize. Thank you, brother. 
And brothers and sisters, thank you for being patient with me and enduring some really bad sermons, especially my weird handouts during Ezekiel. And for those who are coming into the pulpit more regularly, Seth, Prashant, Dirk, is a high calling and a high responsibility. But it is pure joy. It has been for me. Thank you all, brothers and sisters. Does not mean to get emotional. Not going to do it. Let's get into the text. In our passage, Paul closes his letter to the Colossians with simple greetings and final thoughts. To summarize, Paul wants to inform the church of his suffering for the gospel to show the pastoral love for his fellow ministers, from his fellow ministers, and to exhort the church to faithful ministry themselves. These final thoughts summarize Paul's main concerns throughout his letter. And as we know, the main concern, the main problem in Colossians has been the false teachers. They undermined the sufficiency of Christ and His work by imposing illegitimate rules and false worship upon the church. Paul knew that when the gospel is not rooted in our souls well, believers become weak and ineffectual. And this same malady continues in our day. Our souls too must be rooted in Christ's gospel in order for us to serve well. So this is what we should see, brothers and sisters. We must root the gospel in our souls. We must root the gospels in our souls by resting in the sufficiency of Christ, by maturing in the truth in order to fulfill our ministry. Those are our three points. We must root the gospel in our souls by resting in the sufficiency of Christ, by maturing in the truth in order to fulfill our ministry. So for our first point, we must root the gospel in our souls by resting in the sufficiency of Christ. In verses 7 to 9, Paul wants the Colossians to be encouraged by his gospel ministry. In verse 7, Paul informs the church that Tychicus is coming to tell them all about Paul's ministry journey. He would be the one handing over the letter. He would be his spokesperson, so to speak. Paul's note about Tychicus being a faithful minister and servant would give Tychicus the authority to speak on behalf of Paul. And in verse 9, remember that Onesimus was with Tychicus on his way to be reconciled to Philemon. But Onesimus would also serve the purpose as a second witness to Paul's ministry. Remember that Paul had never met the Colossians before. He is writing to them blind, so to speak. They had never met with the Apostle Paul. And so more witnesses, such as Tychicus and Onesimus, would ground the church's confidence in Paul's apostolic ministry. That's the idea. Paul is very clear that these two Christian servants would explain how Paul's ministry is going. They were to declare all that has taken place. They would speak of everything that has taken place, verse 9. But remember that Paul is writing from prison. So in verse 8, we get a very strange statement from Paul. Paul sent these witnesses for this very purpose, that you may know, that we, that you may know how we are, and that Tychicus may encourage your hearts. Tychicus was to show how Paul has suffered in prison, but also encourage the church. How in the world is Paul's suffering 
and encouragement to this church. Earlier in chapter 4, we saw that Paul's suffering in prison was actually a catalyst for effective gospel ministry. But going further back into chapter 2, Paul plainly tells the church, I want you to know how great a struggle, how great a suffering I have, have, I have on your behalf. And for those who are at Laodicea, and for all those who have, a, who have not personally seen my face, that their hearts may be encouraged. Chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. And going further back into chapter 1, he says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, to make known the mysteries of God, to make known the revelation of Jesus in His gospel. Remember that we saw many, many months ago now that Paul understood himself as Isaiah's prophesied agent in whom God would proclaim the peace of the Messiah's reign. He saw himself vital for the gospel spreading. And remember what Christ said to Ananias, who would go on to baptize Paul at that conversion story there in Acts 9. Christ said of Paul, Go, for Paul is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my sake, and for my name. So this is what we should see. Through the sufferings of Paul, through the sufferings of Paul, the gospel spread. The sufferings of Paul were not a bug, but a feature of his apostolic ministry. It was built into, his de- into the DNA of his ministry. Paul followed the pattern of his Lord that through suffering victory comes. And so when Paul says there, that little famous phrase there at verse 18, the very end, where he gives them that grace be with you all, he says what before that? He says, remember my chains. Remember my chains. When he says this, he is not making an an emotional plea. He is telling the church by thinking upon his chains When they think upon his chains as an apostle, they should think the true gospel is winning. The true gospel is winning. Paul may be chained, but he is victorious in his mission. Paul wants the church to know that his suffering, that through his suffering, it becomes the means by which the gospel message goes out with power. When Paul suffers for this message, that means that the gospel is winning. Brothers and sisters, Paul's ministry was effective because Christ is the power of God. And Colossians 1, 15 to 22, really 15 all the way to the end of chapter 1, we see this most grandiose depiction of Christ, of Christ and His person and work. We see there that He is, that Christ is our divine Creator. He is the image of God, firstborn and preeminent over all creation. All things were created through Him and for Him. As we said, He is very God of very God. And Christ is our incarnate Redeemer. Very man of very man. Through His redeeming work, He is the firstborn of the dead, preeminent over the new creation. All creation marred by Adam's curse will be restored in Him. 
and all demonic powers will be put in subjection to this king. And we sinners, once alienated and hostile to God, have been reconciled to God through Christ's atoning death. And by simple faith, we are made alive in Christ, having been forgiven of our trespasses. Through Christ's sufferings and His death, He has canceled the debt that stood against us, nailing it to the cross. And all demonic powers that rage against Christ and His church have been put to open shame because Christ, our Christ, has triumphed over them. That is our gospel, brothers and sisters. That is the message we sing. And this, brothers and sisters, you must know that this gospel has power behind it. This gospel has power behind it. And we must learn to root and rest our souls in this message. Because just like the Colossians, just like our brothers and sisters many years ago, we can listen to subtle voices, even our own, that push us to rest in our own sufficiency rather than King Jesus's. This point was the constant drumbeat throughout our time in Colossians. If we will not rest in Christ, we will never rest at all. Because all other messages, all other Gospels, even Gospels that we say is the true Gospel, if it is not this biblical Gospel as we have just seen, all other messages are doomed to leave us empty and disappointed. If there's anything that I want you to know from our time in Colossians, it's this, Christian. Christian, I want you to know that your failures and your performance do not dictate, do not dictate God's acceptance of you. That is what I want you to know, dear brothers and dear sisters. Your performance does not dictate God's acceptance of you. And every soul in this room is prone to waver on this vital truth at some point. We rightfully care about holiness in this church. And we do not want to deceive ourselves into a false Christianity. But these concerns can quickly become a new law for us. A law that if we don't keep up, then God must not be for us. That He doesn't love us. Who here hasn't uttered these poor, pathetic words in their Christian walk? I failed again. I see no growth. I don't know if God actually has saved me and made me a new creature. I don't know if God loves me. And as we give ourselves to this horrid introspection, we become weak. We become small. Serving the Lord becomes futile in your mind because you think, rightfully so, what is the point if I have lost my soul? Dear brothers and dear sisters, dear Christian, it's in that despairing moment of introspection that God calls us to look outward, not at our own sufficiency or our own worth, but at the immense worth of Jesus Christ, our Lord. He is sufficient. 
He is the one who reconciles sinners to the holy God. He is the one who reconciles sinners and even undoes our failures before God. Not you. So whether you are a believer or an unbeliever cut to the heart at these words, a backsliding Christian in need of renewal, or a weary pilgrim in need of gospel encouragement, brothers and sisters, look outward and upward to our Christ. Dear Christian, root this message in your soul. Oh, that's the message I want you to know from this time in Colossians. God actually loves you. If you are in Christ, your Father smiles upon you with an everlasting love. That is something that you should root your soul in, dear Christian. Because there will be times when your soul will be downcast and gasping for assurance. So give your soul encouragement as the Apostle Paul gave the Colossians. When you feel beat down in your struggle against sin, remember the gospel. Remember Paul's chains and know that the gospel goes out with almighty power. Be encouraged because your sin will never win the day if Christ is your king. Because in Christ Jesus, he will always win the day. He has triumphed over sin, Satan, and death. Your sin may be great, O saint, but your Christ is even greater. Root your soul in the gospel of Christ's power and sufficiency, and you will be able to serve Him all the days of your life. Oh, dear Christian, root your soul into Christ's sufficiency is enough. He is indeed enough. We wander from this truth so often because we are often weakened by lies that we tell ourselves. This brings us to our second point. We must root the gospel in our souls by maturing in the truth. We root the gospel in our souls by maturing in the truth. In verses 10 to 14, Paul shows that many ministers were pastorally invested in the Colossians' maturity. In these verses, Paul gives a, a list of men who served in leadership in sister churches and on the mission field. In verses 10 to 11, we are introduced to Aristarchus, who, is, who was in jail with Paul. He is a known traveling companion of Paul's throughout Acts. And another companion in Paul's travels was Mark, who was free to visit Paul in prison. He was most likely the penman. Paul says that he would possibly meet the Colossians later. Mark, uh, the Colossians would meet later. Like Tychicus and Onesimus, the church was instructed to receive Mark as another one with authority from Paul. And with Mark, a man named Justice would come as well. These three men were only those of Jewish background. And they were the only Jewish Christians serving during his time in prison. And the reason that Paul highlights their background is to show the Colossians that boasting in your prior religious or ethnic ties is foolish, such as the false teachers were promoting. Only three Jewish men were co-workers with Paul in the kingdom ministry. They were no greater than Greeks. 
In verses 12 to 14, we equally see three Greek ministry partners, Epaphras, Luke, and Damas. But look at verse 12 in the description of Epaphras. I love this description. Let's read it. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in the will of God. Remember that Epaphras was the founding church pastor for the Colossian area. From this Greek evangelist, the Colossians first received the gospel. And notice the love and concern of Epaphras, struggling in his prayers. Epaphras knew the poison that was being spewed by the false teachers at his church. And so he prayed that the church would stand mature fully, would stand mature and fully assured in the will of God. And as we see in verse 13, Epaphras had worked hard for the Colossians, as well as their neighboring churches in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Like Paul, Epaphras wanted his people to mature in truth and not be captivated by lies. Epaphras' prayer for maturity parallels Paul's statement found in Chapter 1, verse 28, this famous statement, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Throughout his letter, Paul presents Christ as the truth in contrast to the false teacher's lies, their satanic lies. The false teachers set up this elaborate theological framework upon the gospel message. If you follow their obscure worship and their quasi-Old Testament piety, then you would be really accepted by God. But Paul kept bringing us back to Christ over and over and over and over again. By union with Christ, we are accepted into God's very presence right now. There are no hoops to jump through, no works to perform, no merits to earn. If we simply have Christ, then God has us. And we are to grow mature in Christ. And we grow mature in Christ when we can spot these errors from afar. And we can also grow further into the gospel and the true will of God. Brothers and sisters, there are many errors and lies that dot the landscape today. But the greatest lies that are, are not often the loudest ones, but the subtle. We looked at a few subtle errors in, the, in our Colossian series, and we, we named a few that are contemporary in our day. Uh, we talked about covenantal gnomism and lordship salvation. And again, not everyone who uses that language is teaching error. I just want to make that clear. But oftentimes, if left unchecked, uh, such teaching, if, especially if it's not taught well, it can confuse the law-gospel distinction. With a strong emphasis on the necessity of good works, these errors tend to put a condition upon our continued access to God. And Satan uses such errors to breathe more lies, saying that we are not good enough as Christians, bringing despair and apathy 
within our souls. But again, Christ and His work is all that we need, even once we're in. We don't build up our good works to reach heaven, but rather, if we have been raised with Christ, then we can seek the things above. We need to root our souls in this gospel and mature in this truth so that we are not subtly led astray by the serpent's lies that can often pass as reformed teaching in our day. And notice this about our passage. Epiphras desires others' maturity, not just himself. Epiphras is prayerfully concerned with making strong disciples who can withstand errors that come into the church, along with Paul and the other servants listed in our passage. These men should be a model for us all. We all should be prayerfully concerned for our brothers' and sisters' souls. We all should be concerned with our mutual maturity in the gospel truth. And we all should care that sound doctrine is taught so that our souls can withstand the schemes of Satan. So brothers and sisters, let me give you this exhortation. For this new year, I plead that you give yourselves to serious doctrinal reflection. I want y'all to be nerds this year. That's what I'm saying. I want us all to be massive, massive, massive nerds. I want us to go deep into the Scriptures and into the great testimony of the church. I've been so overjoyed with our recent Sunday School teachers and their series. Seth, uh, your, your stuff on Psalms is great. Dirk, you as well. That was fantastic. I love that. Uh, currently, Richard has been going through the basis of Christology and explaining some deep things about this very important topic, right? Some of these truths are a bit steep, right? Amen? Oh, y'all. Uh, these things are a bit steep. But here's the joy for us teachers. I can see the wheels turning for some of you. And I love that. Uh, that is one of the reasons I went into wanting to become a teacher of some kind. Is that I love the thrill of when people are making connections. I can see the wheels turning, especially as you see these truths connect to other important topics, other important truths. When you are built up in sound doctrine, brothers and sisters, you build a solid wall where Satan cannot easily slither in. Of course, just because you know a lot about the Bible or theology does not make you spiritually mature. It does not, no. But let me give you this encouragement. Being sound doctrinally, knowing your Bibles in and out, knowing your doctrine in and out, it will not immediately make you a spiritual giant. But brothers and sisters, it sure does help. It sure does help. By being mature in doctrine, it is far easier to dispel subtle errors and or unbiblical assumptions. As Christians, you follow the pattern of our Lord. God will put the serpent under our feet, Romans 16. And He does this through solid doctrine. So for those who struggle with Satan lies about your standing before Him, for those who continue to backslide into sin, or for those who feel the weight of not knowing if God actually loves you, I guarantee you 
that solid doctrine would benefit your soul more than any devotional. And let me back myself up here. Here's C.S. Lewis talking about devotionals and things that actually help him in his walk with Christ. C.S. Lewis, for my own part, I tend to find the doctrinal books often more helpful in devotion than the devotional books. And I rather suspect that the same experience may await others. I believe that many who find that nothing happens when they sit down, oh, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? I believe that many who find that nothing happens when they sit down with a book of devotion would find that their heart sings unforced while they are working their way through a tough bit of theology. C.S. Lewis, he was a kind and gentle person, and here he is saying, tackle those tough topics. Why? Because they, if you do, you plow and work and put your soul to understand these deep things of God, though your neck will be buried in tombs and tombs of books and in Scripture itself, though you be buried in that, you will rise in the presence of God. Brothers and sisters, I ask you, what are you waiting for? It's the new year. Be as the Bereans. Study together. Challenge one another. Care for one another in this vital way. Mature in God's truth. And I promise, dear brother, dear sister, if you do these things, that serpent will lie dead at the gates. Give yourself to study. So then, solid doctrine does not only benefit your soul, but also the rest of the church. This brings us to our third point. We must root the gospel in our souls in order to fulfill our ministry. In verses 15 to 17, Paul gives the Colossians a few final commands to serve the broader church. In verse 15, Paul says that, to, says to greet the sister church at Laodicea, who was in the next town over from Colossae. They probably met in the home of Nympha, a wealthy widow. And in verse 16, we see that Paul's letter was to be read first to Colossians, and then they, the Colossians, were responsible to bring this message, the Colossians' message, to Laodicea. And funny enough, the Laodiceans also had an earlier message from Paul, that the Colossians were to benefit from as well. Possibly the Colossian heresy had spread to Laodicea as well. Most Probably, in fact, it did. Both letters address errors that both churches were struggling against, a common problem. And so both churches were responsible for the spiritual well-being of the other. And this is what healthy church association looks like. In verse 17, the Colossian church had commanded to encourage the minister Archippus at Laodicea to fulfill his ministry. Again, this language is, the, is an echo of Paul's own ministry to the Colossians in chapter 1. The idea is that Archippus was to tackle the Colossian heresy just as Paul did. This may have been Paul's way of jolting the shepherd into action where major problems were brewing. He was to root souls in Christ's true gospel, and so both letters and this spoken exhortation would warn against error and present the church mature in Christ. Like Archippus in the churches, 
Sometimes we need to be jolted back to our responsibilities to the church. When things get hard or difficult, it can be easy to go into neutral and just coast through the problems. But such an attitude is irresponsible for either ministers or laymen. It's a spirit that belongs to the old man and not the new. But Christ's new creations serve one another in love and grace. As we saw in chapter 3 and into chapter 4, our lives as new creations revolve around love and duty for our fellow Christian. Lives that are pleasing and reflective of God's love for us and a bold proclamation to the world of Christ's gospel. That's what the new creation brings. All aspects of our lives are lived unto the glory of God, especially life in the local Brothers and sisters, we live in an isolated society. And naturally, many of us are like archivists here. You may not be a minister, but every member has a vested interest in the health of the church. But we can be neglectful of the people entrusted to us. We all should seek the newness of life that this gospel brings. And we should see it exemplified practically in the life of the church. Now, some of you may be doing really good spiritually this season. It's a new year. You're already doing your Bible studies. You have your morning devotion with a cup of coffee every morning. You pray seven times a day on your knees. And your family worship is never interrupted by screaming, screaming, wandering toddlers. No, never for you. Only for me, it seems. And praise God for that, if indeed this is the life, if this is your life in this season. But let me ask you, for those who are doing well spiritually, how are you serving that other family that may be struggling spiritually? What about that single person who's doubting God's will for their life? What about the new member who's starting to feel that the honeymoon phase with the church has been a delusion? What about that middle-aged member who's feeling stagnant in their spiritual life and there seems to be no one to talk to? I could go on and on. Brothers and sisters, the book of Colossians is primarily about reading the Gospels, the Gospel into our souls. It is keeping us from, it's about keeping us from Satan's lies that cut away from our joyful devotion to God. But Colossians' message compels us towards love for those who struggle spiritually. That is the great heart behind men like Epaphras, men like Paul, who struggled daily in their prayers that we might stay mature in Christ. Paul and the other ministers labor for such souls. Souls that are downcast. You may think that it's Pastor Wynn's job or the folks who preach regularly. But you would be wrong. It's your, your responsibility, Christian. But more importantly, the, this ministry, this gospel ministry entrusted to you, every single one of us, this ministry should be your joy. 
The same gospel that gives you new life is the same gospel that that weaker brother needs to hear. It is the same gospel that your tired sister is needed, that ne- who, who needs to be strengthened in. And if it be God's gracious will, it is the same gospel that is rooted in our own souls that our sons and our daughters will be captured by. This same gospel that you delight in is the same gospel that can give your brother and your sister joy. It gives them the newness of life and refreshment of soul that they so often do not vocalize that they need. Again, I give you a most wonderful exhortation this time of year. Learn to speak the gospel to one another. I'll let that linger. Learn to speak the gospel to one another. As we mature in sound doctrine and rest in Christ's sufficiency, let us speak the words of life that we know from the depths of our own being. Fulfill your ministry to one another, brothers and sisters. Don't let your words be mere pleasantries on Sundays. No! Talk to one another about your lives as they really are. Give the struggles of your soul to that dear trusted brother or sister. That is what they are there for. And allow them to speak of God and Christ to whatever situation you find yourself in. Are you backsliding again? Are you falling for that same sin? Are you downcast with the time of your life where God has you, your lot in life? Oh, brothers and sisters, I'm, I've been with you now for so many years. And so many of you have become so much more vulnerable about your spiritual lives to me. And that has been immense pleasure. But there's only so much that one pulpiteer can do. But there's an amazing amount of wealth that sits in the pews. If we would learn how to disciple one another, the love the assurance of gospel grace would overflow into this church and out into this neighborhood, into this nation, and into this world. All it takes is one church who will love like this, as Paul has called us to. It takes only one church to fulfill this gospel ministry, to change the world. Brothers and sisters, I plead with you, give your soul to another for them to speak that word of gospel love to your soul. By following Paul's command here, our spiritual gloom of last year should not follow us into the next. But as we minister to one another, may this new year ring with gospel assurance and Christian joy. So then in conclusion, we must root our souls in the gospel by resting in Christ's sufficiency, by maturing in the truth in order to fulfill our ministry to one another. Again, Colossians' main theme is the sufficiency of Christ for all of the Christian life. May we heed the apostle words and be gospel people through and through. Do not let the errors of Satan's lies convince you otherwise. 
By faith you have been raised with Christ. So seek the heavenly things that are above and minister to the souls of your dear brothers and sisters. May Christ's gospel take its root into your souls, O church. And may we all, in joyful adoration, live for our King. Let us pray. O Heavenly Father, it is such a simple message that you have given us in Colossians. But in its simplicity and beauty, we often think that we can perfect upon it by our own efforts, our own merits. Father, keep us from making that fatal flaw. Keep us from walking along the subtle lies of Satan and allow our souls to rest in the supreme sufficiency of Christ that He is enough for the sinner, that in Christ Jesus, by union with Him through simple faith, we are before Your very presence now. And in You there is no shadow of turning, but there is a constant knowledge that Your grace is sufficient for us. O Father, may this grace find its way into our heart, and may we never flee from it. And may these dear, precious souls, these souls here, never flee. Glorious message. Thank you, O Father. It's in your Son's holy and perfect name. Amen.